this morning, how many of you got one of these bags as you walked in? It looks a little uh, dodgy, but in it's this little bean. Uh, if you got a bag when you came in, I want you to take that out right now. Uh, inside is one coffee bean. I want you to take that coffee bean out. Uh, I don't know if you're a coffee lover or not this morning, but you can kind of examine that. Maybe smell it, maybe taste it. Uh, someone was upset this morning because they weren't covered in chocolate. I apologize that we didn't get the, uh, the, the, the chocolate-covered coffee beans. Um, but maybe some of you here this morning have heard of the Kopi Luwak coffee bean. And if you heard of the Kopi Luwak coffee bean, it's probably the most expensive coffee bean in the world. It's a very exotic blend. Uh, only a couple of thousand pounds of this exotic coffee are made every year. It only comes from one place on the planet. It comes from a country called Indonesia. It's the only place where these particular beans grow. Um, it's supposedly the most exquisite, exotic, complex-tasting coffee in the world. And it's definitely the most expensive. Uh, my coffee lovers here this morning, how much would a pound of coffee cost you at the blend here in town? What's a pound of coffee cost these days, roughly? $13, did someone say? Does that sound about right? 15 bucks, 10 bucks, something like that. $300 for a pound is what it costs for this Kopi Luwak coffee. Now, Kopi Luwak coffee beans, they have a very interesting story, okay? I don't know if you've heard of this bean or the story behind it, but the, the two words are broken up like this. Kopi is the Indonesian word for coffee. Luwak is the Indonesian word for how we get this particular coffee. You see, the Luwak is a wild cat that lives in Indonesia. We have a picture of it right here. This is the Luwak, okay? This particular wild cat, uh, he only lives in Indonesia. He comes out at night, and uh, he's a bit of a coffee connoisseur himself. He, uh, he burrows around, and uh, he eats the coffee beans that he finds. And um, actually, it's, I guess it's the coffee berries at that point. Um, so he eats them, and uh, during the night, while everyone's asleep, this cat is wandering the island eating these beans. And um, I don't know if you need the biology lesson today, but the, basically the, the berry, the coffee berry, makes its way through the the Luwak's digestive system, and then um, it's out, okay? I didn't have a slide for the next one, but if you've got the uh, poop emoji on your phone, you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about here, okay? So that, that coffee berry makes its way through that cat, and then the villagers, the people who live there, they harvest those beans, and by harvest, I think you know what I mean, okay? They go, they go I don't know what the word is for when one does that, but they go and they, they dig out those beans, and that's what makes the coffee, uh, the Kopi Luwak such an exotic bean because it's got just an extra flavor. <laughs> yeah. So how many of you actually put them in your mouth this morning? Any? <laughs> All right, well, you'll know, if you know me and how cheap I am, these are definitely not those beans, okay? This is the blend, breakfast blend. There's no way I'm spending $300 on a pound of coffee just for this illustration. But here's the illustration I want to make about these beans. Keep these beans. Take them home with you. Because this morning, this bean represents a message that we've been talking about for the last six weeks in looking at the life of Joseph. And when I explain the, the point of this, you're not going to forget in a hurry. Because this series is a reminder that sometimes the very best things in life come out of the crap. They do, okay? Sometimes the, just the worst situations, the, the messiest situations in our life sometimes produce the best that God wants to do in our lives. So maybe don't tweet that phrase later. As at church this morning, very inspirational phrase by Dave Jane. Da, da, da. 
But this is the thought I want us to have this morning as we kind of wrap up this series. We wrap up talking about the life of Joseph. You see, this series we're doing, it's called That's Messed Up. We've been talking about the life of a guy who lived many, many years ago, several thousand years ago. You can read about him in the book of Genesis. His name was Joseph. And Joseph has this incredible story of God at work in the mess and the crap of his life. And how God takes some of these terrible situations and actually uses them to make Joseph the man he wants him to be. To bring character, to develop him. And we're going to finish off this series this morning. But before we get to the last part, let me kind of catch you up real quick in case you've not been here for the last few weeks. So we meet Joseph as a young man. He's 17 years old. We discover that he's actually a little bit of a, a mess himself. He's spoiled. He's, he has the habit of tattling on his brothers when they're out working in the field. So he's not well loved by his brothers. His dad treats him differently. He buys him this beautiful, colorful coat that he gets to wear. And every time his brothers see him in this coat, it's just a constant reminder that dad loves him more than he loves us. So the brothers have had enough. They hate this, so they actually um, plot to kill Joseph. I mean, this isn't just a little brother that gets on my nerves. They have this plan in mind to take his life. At the last minute, instead of killing him, they decide to sell him into slavery, and they, they profit, they sell for you know, some pieces of silver, this young man to uh, these slave traders who take him to Egypt. And poor old Joseph, who really felt like he had this destiny on this life, he'd had these dreams, and in these dreams, his brothers were bowing down to him. So he really felt like God had put some destiny or some purpose on him. And now he finds himself a slave on his way to Egypt. But while in Egypt, he actually lands this great gig. He's a household of a man by the name of Potiphar, and Joseph works his way up. And even though he's a slave, he becomes the, the most important slave in that household. In fact, the Bible tells us that Potiphar just left everything up to Joseph. He trusted Joseph with everything. Now, fortunately, we find out that Potiphar's wife took this literally, and she's like, well, hey, if he's responsible for everything in this house, then, then I want to get to know this guy as well. And we learned that Joseph, the Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. Now, Joseph was a man of character. He said, nope, I will not do that against my, father, my master. I will not do that against God. So he refused her advances. So she accuses him of seducing him. And Potiphar's so mad, he has Joseph thrown into prison. So Joseph's life's kind of this messed up roller coaster. He's, he's doing well. He's in a pit, sold there for slavery. He finds himself in a really good gig. Then he's back in prison. He spends three years in prison before finally, thanks to some, some dream stuff that went on, he interpreted some dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. He's, he finds himself in front of Pharaoh because Pharaoh's having these crazy dreams. He doesn't know what they mean. Pharaoh's in charge of all of Egypt. And Joseph finds himself in the throne room of Pharaoh hearing these dreams that Pharaoh's had. And Joseph, he explains to Pharaoh, you know, no one can explain dreams except God. The God who I worship, the God of Israel. So, so if you'll allow me, I'll speak to God and I'll tell you what your dreams mean. And he tells Pharaoh, your dreams are a, are a prophecy that there are going to be seven great years here in Egypt. For the next seven years, you're going to have so much grain, you're not going to know what to do with it. But following that, there are going to be seven years of famine. So my advice to you is you store some of that seven years of plenty, keep it set aside and then during the seven years of famine, you'll survive because you'll have saved some food. So that's the story of Joseph. That's where we got to last week. If you were here, you'll know we kind of got to that point last week. And now 
we find Joseph. Pharaoh's like, I'm going to make you the person in charge of all of this. So Joseph is now second in command of all of Egypt. He's like the vice president. He was in prison one day. He's in the palace the next. It's this crazy roller coaster of a story of Joseph's life. And he finds himself now second in command of all of Egypt in charge of this distribution program. For seven years, people have had plenty, and now we're coming into the seven years where, where the famine is kicking in. And each year, less and less food is around, and each year people are starting to struggle and starve. So they're coming to Joseph and saying, will you help us because we have no food? And listen to what happens in Joseph's life. In Genesis 41, verses 50 through 52, it says this. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. But here's what's interesting about this. It says that Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, and this is what the word Manasseh means, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. So Joseph started this new family, and he hasn't just called his sons like Peter and Paul or John and Bob. You know, he's like, no, I'm going to give them some names that mean something. So even the names of his sons are telling a story. His sons' names, every time he calls out their names, are saying, hey, my past is behind me. That is all gone. I'm in a new place. God has brought me to this new place. This is a man who was in a pit. This is a man who was in slavery. This is a man who was in prison. He had plenty of opportunities to spiral into depression or bitterness or anger, but he chose the attitude he wants to have. Joseph chose the attitude that he wants to have. He chose to honor God no matter what because he saw evidence of God being with him even in the most messed up times of his life. God was there with him. And now he's on the other side. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you've been through some mess of your own. Maybe you're in the middle of a mess right now. Or maybe you're in the great place now where you've kind of come through it and you're looking back and you can remember it, but it's in the past. That's where Joseph is this morning. It's all in the past. He's moved on. Life is once again, once again good. And then his past pays him a visit. His past pays him a visit. You see, the famine wasn't just affecting Egypt. The famine was widespread all across the land, as far away as a place called Canaan. And Canaan is where Joseph's father and brothers and family still live. Listen to what's going on in Canaan. Genesis 42, verse 1 and 2 says, When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So Jacob's gathered his brothers together and said, you guys need to go and sort this out. So all of Joseph's brothers minus one, his youngest brother, Benjamin, he stays behind. But all of the others of Joseph's brothers, they head out to Egypt to see if they can get some grain. Now, here's where it kind of gets crazy. Honestly, this story is just an incredible story of the life of Joseph. Listen to what happens here. Genesis 42, 6 through 7. Since Joseph, so his brothers now are arriving, since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all of the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly 
But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. Now this is crazy because even though he recognizes them, they don't recognize him. This is years ago, 15 years ago, more than that, maybe 20 years ago, that they left Joseph with these slave traders. They have no expectancy that that's who they're about to see. They just figure this is some powerful, rich Egyptian ruler. But Joseph recognizes them. And did you catch that line in the verse there? It says that when his brothers were there, they bowed down before him. They bowed down before him. Do you remember Joseph's dream? Joseph has had this dream like 20 plus years ago. And he said to his brothers, I had this dream that one day you're going to bow down in front of me. Joseph has to be sitting on the throne at that point thinking, whoa. Have you heard that phrase? You know, oh, it's like a dream come true. That's what this was. This was a dream come true. In that very moment, Joseph had to realize, God, I get it. This is what you were talking to me about when I was 17 years old. And now, many, many years later, here are my brothers bowing down before me. So you think at this point, I know I would. If I was Joseph, I'd be like, see, I'm Joseph. I told you the dream was true. You guys, I'd be grabbing them, you know, whatever brothers do. I don't know. But for some reason, Joseph doesn't reveal who he is, even though that would be such a wonderful moment to say, I told you so. He doesn't reveal who they are, who he is. In fact, we're going to find out here that he enters into this kind of strange ruse that plays out over the next few months with these crazy growings on between him and his brothers. And, and you kind of look on and think, what is going on here? Why is Joseph playing around with his brothers like this? So as we look at this, we're going to try and figure out what's going on. We're going to talk about what happens and then why it's happening. But let me tell you first, before we start looking at it, what it isn't. Okay, this is, this is what it um, is not that Joseph's doing. That was a terrible phrase, but what, this is what isn't happening. So uh, a few years ago, Case and I, we watched a show together called Revenge, okay? Uh, if you've heard of that show, it was on TV. Uh, it's rubbish. Don't watch it, okay? It was an awful show. It was, it was so rubbish. But here's the thing. The first six or seven episodes were just good enough that we couldn't stop watching, okay? It just kind of hooked us. If you ever watch a show like that where there's enough good episodes at the beginning that you get hooked and then you're in season four and you're like, why am I still watching this? It's such a dumb show. And this was what that show was. Characters were coming back to life who you thought were dead and there were plot twists that made no sense whatsoever. And we're like, why are we still watching this? But you, we were invested. We had to know how it was going to end because those first four were just good enough to get us in. Urgh. So anyway, this show, I'm going to spoil it for you completely. It's all about um, a guy who um, is set up for a crime he didn't commit, and then he's sent to prison, and ultimately he dies in prison. And his daughter, she's little at the time. She's only about 10 years old, but she remembers this happening. So she grows up with this, this desire, this, this determination that when I'm old enough, I am going to take revenge on everyone that turns against my father. So she goes through her teenage years, and, and we meet her now as an adult, and she comes back into these people's lives, and no one knows that this is the little girl grown up. And basically for four seasons of just rubbish, it's her exacting out her revenge on all of these people. Okay? This isn't what we're about to see with Joseph. 
Because it kind of sounds like it at first. It kind of sounds like Joseph is entering into this elaborate plot to, to carry out his revenge on these brothers that sold him into slavery. So, so let's take a look at, at what happens here, the interaction between Joseph and his brothers. You see, I think, because the Bible doesn't specifically say why this all happens, I think God had changed Joseph's heart. We know that. Joseph's heart was not full of anger and bitterness and rage like probably some of us would be if we were sold into slavery by our own family. And I think this is one of the most important lessons that we can learn from Joseph and his messed up life is how do we respond to those who hurt us? But I think Joseph isn't ready to do the full reveal yet, not because he wants to carry out revenge, but I think Joseph wants to know I see how I've changed over the years. I see how everything, the messed up life that I've been through, all that stuff I've been through, I can see how it's changed me. I wonder if my brothers have changed. I wonder if my brothers have learned from this. I wonder if they're any different now than they were 20 years ago when they sold me into slavery. So I think that's what he decides to find out. So they come and they ask for grain, they ask for food, they explain about the famine, and Joseph accused them. He says, I think you're spies. I think you're spies from Canaan and you've come here to check things out so you can come and attack us. They're like, no, that's not the case at all. Honestly, that's not as he goes, I think it is. He goes, do you have any brothers that aren't here? And they said, yeah, we've got one brother. See, why didn't you bring him? Well, we just didn't think to bring him. And see, I think you're lying. In fact, I'm going to put you all in prison. They're like, no, no, what? So what he ends up doing, he puts one of the brothers in prison, Simeon. He says, I'll send you back with food, but if you don't return with that other brother, I'll know you are lying, and I'll know you are spies. So they leave, and they're thinking, what is going on here? But before they leave, this incredible thing takes place in Joseph's courtroom there. We read about it in Genesis chapter 42. It says this. Speaking among themselves, they said, clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph a long time ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen, and that's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked? But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. So there is a glimpse of hope here that maybe they have changed. There's a glimpse of hope here that they realize what we did was wrong, and we could be paying a price here for our actions. But listen to what else happens, and this is really fascinating. Verse 23, of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them, and he began to weep. In that moment, Joseph understands his brothers. He hears them talking about Joseph. He hears the regret in their voice. We shouldn't have done that to Joseph. And in that moment, Joseph turns away. And Joseph weeps. Do you know what? No matter how much you think you're over it, no matter how long ago it happened, even if you're at a place here this morning where you know that what happened happened for a reason and that God's used it to make you a better version today of yourself than you were back then, it just needs a little reminder sometimes, doesn't it, for the pain to come back just needs a little thing, maybe a little thought or a comment or a, a trigger or seeing someone and suddenly that pain that you thought you'd buried away, that pain that you thought you'd covered up, suddenly it comes back. And that's what's happened here with Joseph. 
Joseph has grown and developed and he's, he's seen God in this and he's seen God at work and he realizes that being second in charge of all of Egypt was God's plan all along. So this is a good thing and yet still it hurts. Still when he sees his brothers there and remembers how it felt that day in the pit, that pain comes back. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I don't read, when I read the story of Joseph, that that was painted in a negative light, that Joseph did some wrong and that's why he wept. I think God just puts this in here so we can understand our humanity in situations like this. Because Joseph is a great role model of someone who had the right attitude and the right character and the right behavior and yet still had to deal at times with the pain. So if you've been through some mess in your life, and you feel like you've dealt with it, and you feel like you handled it correctly, and you feel like instead of getting bitter and angry, you chose to worship God and say, God, help me to get through this. You may have handled it right. That doesn't mean that every now and again, the pain isn't going to show up. But I think God still wants to be in the midst even of the pain and be there with you. So the brothers, they head back to Canaan. They leave Simeon behind in prison. And Joseph, he's up to this crazy kind of plan. All the money they brought to buy the food... He has it snuck back into their saddlebags of their animals. So they get home and they open their, their saddlebags. There's all the grain that they've purchased along with the money that they used to buy it. So now they're terrified. They're like, what is going on? How did that get in there? We are so dead. There is no way we're going back. Sorry, Simeon, but you're out of luck. We go back, we're in trouble. So they stay. They don't go back. Time goes by and, and Jacob, he's, he's Joseph's father. He's the father of the brothers. He's distraught as well. He's like, first I lost Joseph, now I've lost Simeon. And the time comes now where they're, they're, they have no money, no food left. They realize they have no option but to go back. They have no option. If they want to eat, if they want to survive, they're going to have to go back. But they know they can't return without Benjamin. And Jacob's like, I've already lost two sons. Please don't take another. But off they head back to Egypt. They've got no choice. They're like, you know, this could end badly, but here we're going to die of starvation, so let's just go for it. So they arrive. Joseph welcomes them back in and tells them to join them for a feast in, in his private residence. They have to be thinking, this is a trap. We're going to go in. He's going to find out we stole the money. We're all going to lose our lives. Benjamin's going to die as well. Our father's going to be so upset. So they see one of Joseph's servants. They're like, listen, you've got to help us. When we left last time, somehow all the money we brought to pay for the grain, it ended up back in our saddlebags. Please take it. This was a mistake. And the guy says, I got your money. You're all paid up. I don't know how that money got in there. Maybe your God is looking after you, but as far as we're concerned, our accounts are settled. You're all good. So now the brother's like, wow, maybe God is in this. Maybe God is with us. We're okay. And they go in, and Joseph has this feast, and they're all eating and celebrating. Joseph says, definitely I'll sell you more grain. It's great to see you. It's nice to meet your brother here. Yeah, take Simeon. You guys are good to go. So they load up with even more grain this time, and off they go. Now, unbeknownst to them, Joseph is still at work. Joseph still, I believe, wants to find out where the hearts of his brothers really are. So Joseph, he has a silver cup that he drinks from. He gives it to one of his servants. He says, when they leave, I want you to sneak this 
into the bag of one of the brothers. But this is very important. Not just any brother. I want this to go into Benjamin's bag. Because he knew. He knew Benjamin was the youngest. He was his father's favorite son outside of Joseph. So off they go. They're not even a day away when Joseph's men catch up with them and say, why would you do that? What? Why would you steal from Pharaoh's commander like that? They said, we didn't steal. His silver cup is missing. One of you stole his silver cup. They said, we didn't. Search us. If you find that cup, kill whoever you find it with because we did not take it. And guess what? They open the bags and they're like, how? So now they're terrified. They're being taken back to Joseph. They think this is it. We don't know how that cup got there, but we are all dead. Joseph's going to kill us all. They go back. They plead with us. They say, please, please don't kill us all. This is a mistake. We don't know how this cup got here. Please show mercy. Joseph says in Genesis 42, 17, listen, I would never do such a thing. I would never kill all of you. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. I believe this was, this was Joseph's plan all along to get to this moment. Because in this moment, guess what choice the brothers have? In this moment, they can say, you know what? We could go back now. We're all okay. We'll just leave that brother to be a slave. Because you know what? We've done it before. We've left a brother to be a slave before and we were okay. This is our ticket out of here. I think Joseph's looking on in this moment thinking, what will they do? But the brothers have changed. Even the brothers have learned from their mistakes. One of them stands up, Judah, before Joseph. He says, we don't know how this happens. But you have to know our father loves this boy. Benjamin, he loves him so much. Our father has already lost a son who he loved dearly by the name of Joseph. He can't lose Benjamin too. Judah says, please send him home. Let me stay instead. We don't know how this cup got here. But allow Benjamin to go home. Just take me instead. And I think in that moment, Joseph saw the true heart of his brothers. In fact, it says in Genesis 45 verse 1, Joseph could stand it no longer. He says, guys, guys, it's me. I'm Joseph. I am Joseph. Do you know, it's crazy. I, I've read this story dozens and dozens of times. I found myself preparing uh, for this message this week, and I'm reading all of this, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I'm going through the brothers backwards and forwards, and I get to this point where Joseph says, guys, I'm Joseph. It's like the reveal, and I'm not kidding. As I'm reading, I'm like almost tearing up because it's like, yes. It's like the happy ending. It's just such a great ending to this climactic tale. Because in that moment, you realize Joseph is reunited with his family. That his brothers have changed, that they've, that they've learned their lesson. So for me reading it, it was a happy moment. For those brothers, yeah, they're terrified because they've watched the show Revenge. They know how this should play out, okay? And they're thinking, you remember that one show we watched called Revenge? This isn't good. He's the dude. He's Joseph. He, oh, he's going to come back on us now. And in 
fear and terror. They're kind of cowering before Joseph saying, we're so sorry we did that. We've, we knew it was a mistake. We've lived with regret all these years. And Joseph quietens them and goes, guys, 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 listen. This is why I love Joseph so much. That I could be someone with this kind of character. That I could love God and understand his ways like Joseph does. Because listen to what he says. He says, I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravished the land for two years will last five more years. There will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. It was God who did this to me. It was God who sent me here not you. Now, some could read this and say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that we don't really have any free will, that God, you know, just forces a hand? I don't believe that. I believe every one of us here this morning has free will to choose whatever we want to do, to choose to accept God in our lives or to reject him. But I think that Joseph saw this and realized that God was in this. God is bigger than any sin, any sin you've done, I've done, any sin that's been done to you. I think Joseph was saying God can even use the crappiest situations we face to bring about great good in this world. That's what Joseph learned through his life. He goes on to reiterate this in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. What you meant for harm, God was going to use for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. One of the greatest lessons we can learn from the life of Joseph this morning is that God is in the redemption business. God is in the redemption business. God wants to take the junk and the garbage and the mess in our lives. And if we'll let him, turn it around for good. Good in our lives good in the lives of others around us. As we get to the end of the message this morning, we're gonna take communion together. We do this once a month here at Connect on the first Sunday of the month. Normally we do it a little bit earlier in the service. We do it as part of our, our worship time. But this morning, I want to do it at this moment in the service. And I'll explain why in just a second. But before I explain that, I'm gonna ask if the uh, people serving communion would start to make their way to the front. So here's how we take communion at Connect if you're visiting. We would love to invite you to join us. If you feel comfortable taking communion, please join us. If you don't, just let the tray pass you by. That's totally fine. But what we're gonna do now is they're gonna start passing the trays down the rows. And if you'd like to join with us in taking communion, just grab one of the wafers, grab the cup and hold on to it. Because here at Connect, we just love to be able to take communion together. So we all hold on to the bread, we all hold on to the cup, and then shortly when everyone's got a piece, we'll take communion together. So if you want to join us in communion this morning, grow ahead and, uh, and grab that. But here's why I want to take communion at this particular moment in the message this morning. Because my guess is this morning, chances are you're either coming out of a challenging time right now, you're about to head into one, or maybe you're just right in the middle of something that's pretty messed up right now. Here's the good news today. No matter what you may be going through, Paul talks about this, a guy by the name of Paul. 
in the New Testament, thousands of years later, after the life of Joseph, listen to what he says when he's writing to a church in Rome, the, the people of Rome. In Romans 8.28, he says this. He says, when we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are, and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you've taken that step of faith and said, God, I want to follow you. I want to follow Jesus in my life. I love you. I believe in you. I want to be someone who would follow, who would live my life following after you. If that's you this morning, it says here that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Even the mess and the rubbish in our lives, God can use for good if we'll allow him, if we'll trust him. And do you know why I believe that to be true this morning? Because thousands of years ago, I saw that happen in the life of Joseph. I saw him go through some messed up situations, sold to slavery, thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And yet I kept seeing God show up in his life. God was with him. God turned things around. One day, Joseph found himself in the most important position in all of Egypt other than Pharaoh. And he recognized that, do you know why I'm here? Because God was with me. God redeemed the bad and used it for good. God redeemed the bad and used it for good. And along the way, I learned a few lessons. I used to be a pretty spoiled punk. 17 years old, I wouldn't have been ready to sit in this throne in charge of all these people. But through those messes in my life, I learned some stuff about myself. And God was preparing me. He knew the plan he had for my life. He knew that one day my brothers would bow down to me, but he knew that there were some, some rough edges that needed to be chiseled off. And here I am. What my brothers meant for harm, God meant for good. That happened thousands of years ago. 2,000 years ago, something else pretty incredible happened. There was another wonderful redemption story of a man who on a Friday afternoon, evening, hung on a cross. A man who claimed to be the son of God. A man who performed miracles, taught, did wonderful things. And to the world around, it looked like that man's life had ended in failure as he hung on a cross. In fact, that's why we're going to take communion this morning to remember the end of that man's life. Because the redemption story didn't end there. God took something bad and turned it into something incredible. Because three days later, Jesus rose again. And we can have a relationship with God because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross. It's a thing called sin. It's the bad things we do and they separate us from God. And we could never be good enough. We could never do enough good or, or not do enough bad to break that barrier between us and God. So Jesus came. He allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. It was a terrible end to his life. But God redeemed an awful situation. And in his resurrection three days later, what man meant for harm God meant for good. So we're going to take communion together this morning to remember that wonderful thing that happened a few thousand years ago. So let's eat the bread together. Lord Jesus, as we look at the life of Joseph and we see that God, you're at work in his life redeeming good from bad. 
it points us right to Jesus. It reminds us of the greatest act of redemption ever, the greatest example of bad being turned to good, the greatest example of of greatness coming out of a terrible situation, the day you gave up your life for us, the day you hung on a cross. And as we take communion together, that's why we take communion every month. That's why we take communion on a regular basis with others around the church, others around the world, followers of Jesus across this planet because we never want to forget what you did for us. Let's drink the cup. We never want to forget Jesus. We never want to forget that the heartache and the brokenness of that situation, of your death on the cross, just a couple of days later, turned into the greatest story of redemption ever told. That you rose from the dead. That because of your death and resurrection, Lord, we were set free. We were set free from the the chains, the bondage, Lord, of of the wrong things that we do, of, of, of hell, because of you. And we thank you, Jesus, that your death redeemed us to life. You can go ahead and pass these cups along to the end of the row if you want. Someone will come along and collect them. For about six weeks now, we've been talking about this guy whose name was Joseph. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about this great man. I hope maybe some of you have connected at some point your story and his story. Some of you, maybe more than others. And I hope that as you've connected with his story, that you start to see the redemptive work of God in your life as well. That whether you're in the mess, you've come out of the mess, you're headed into the mess, that God is at work. That his redemptive hand is at work in your life, shaping you and molding you and and setting you free and rescuing you from the darkness and bringing you into light. And as we close out this week on this wonderful man, Joseph, this great guy who understood that when confronted with his brothers, instead of acting out revenge and being angry or bitter or, or hating, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. I see that now. I see that God was in this. I know it was a mess, but he had a plan. He had a plan and I hated going through what I went through. But I can see how God had a plan to use this for good. Let me close with this thought this morning. Joseph recognized that if it hadn't been for the pit, he'd never have found himself in Egypt. If he hadn't have been thrown into that pit, he never would have found himself as a slave in Egypt. If it hadn't been for prison, he would never have met the cupbearer. He needed to be in prison to meet this cupbearer to interpret his dream. He was in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But if he hadn't been in that prison cell, he would have never met that cupbearer. If he hadn't met the cupbearer, he'd never have interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. If he'd never have met the cupbearer in that prison cell, in that broken moment of his life, Pharaoh would never have known about this man named Joseph who could interpret his dreams. If he hadn't interpreted Pharaoh's dreams... Egypt would have starved. If Pharaoh's dreams had never been figured out, they would have eaten and eaten and eaten for seven years and they'd have gorged themselves on the plenty. And then in seven years of famine, they would have starved. Ultimately, 
Here's the incredible thing about all of it. This 17-year-old boy, 20 or 30 years later, has this revelation that he understood that if he'd grown up in a perfect family with brothers that loved him and nothing that ever went wrong, that eventually he would have been stuck in a house with a family in the middle of a seven-year drought that probably would have killed him and his family. This was God at work in Joseph's life, and he recognized that. He saw that God had his hand in this. And it turns out that some of those awful situations... God was using to bring about the most incredible story of redemption and the saving of many lives. He understood that God meant it for good. You know, as you continue, this is Genesis, the first book of the Bible. As you continue to read throughout the Old Testament, you start to see how the people of Israel, the Israelites, they grew as a nation. Wonderful things happened. But it all happened because they came out of this, this family, Jacob and his sons. And they lived And they lived in Egypt and they grew to become a massive population. And then one day they were delivered from Egypt by a guy named Moses and they found their way to the promised land and it goes on and on. But you can trace it all back to Joseph interpreting the dreams. I hope and pray that wherever you find yourself this morning, that you'll learn to find God in the midst of it and you'll learn and trust that he can use even what you're going through right now for his good. Let's pray. Father, We love you so much. And God, we are so amazed when we read the story of this man, Joseph, who lived all those years ago, just so challenged and inspired by his life. If that's all it was, just an incredible testimony of a life well lived, it will be worth reading the story of his life again and again and again. But Father, I believe that over these last six weeks, you've used Joseph's life to connect with us at some specific levels because some of us have been going through some mess of our own. And Lord, we have the privilege of being able to see the beginning and the end of Joseph's life. And we trust you that what may feel like people are trying to harm us or situations are trying to harm us, that even that, Lord, you can use for good in our lives. Help us to hang in there and trust you, to choose the attitude to have in the middle of it, and to know, Lord, that there'll come a day where we'll look back and we'll see, wow, wow, God was in that. I'm where I'm at now because of what happened back then. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.